Well, hey, it's Ryan, and welcome to The Art of Paying Attention, where paying attention is our endless and proper work. So good to be with you once again, and I'm so excited today to share an interview, a conversation with Dr. Ardashir Mehran, and he has a fantastic book called You Are Not Depressed, You Are Unfinished, and we talk about the emotions and depression and happiness and how we are wired in our bodies, and it's really a, a fascinating conversation, and Dr. Mehran really uh, g- gets into his own bouts with depression and kind of how his life was going off the rails and how he discovered some really key insights into our emotional health and mental health and our bodies, and it was really a, a fun conversation because I know there's, if you're listening, if you're human, you've probably walked through uh, times of depression, times of anxiety, times of overwhelm, and um, maybe wondering where my life is headed. And, and maybe I have all these good things in my life, and yet I, I still feel down or feel disconnected somehow. And so I think you're going to love this conversation. He talks about the Bill of Emotional Rights, which is fantastic, which we'll get into, which will make more sense in a few minutes here. But so glad that you could stop by to the Art of Paying Attention. And just asking, what are you paying attention to these days? Uh, this show's about paying attention to what matters most to our, our bodies, our souls, our world, our relationships, where we're headed, where we're going, and try to bring on people that, that help us pay attention to different pieces of culture and different work and disciplines and, and creativity and, and all kinds of things. And so really it's, it's to foster a, a, a conversation around things like this, like emotional health and and things like that. So uh, hopefully you've been enjoying uh, this show and I uh, just want to encourage you to sh- share it with your friends. Still word of mouth still works. Uh, put a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show and it helps us get the word out as well. And I also wanted to let you know a couple things uh, before we get into my conversation is I have a new little side project going on the Substack called Daily Wisdom. And I'm going to be sharing kind of regular um, posts about kind of where ancient wisdom of Christian spirituality and the modern world connect and just how we can look to the past of these centuries and centuries of ancient wisdom and spirituality that really can connect to our present day and the, and the challenges that we face. And so this is a kind of a unique little, little project, but I'm going to get into all kinds of uh, conversations around philosophy and theology and um, talk about creativity and artists and, and teachers and, and just how, the ancient wisdom of the past is actually very relevant for today. And so it's called the daily wisdom. I'm going to have a little short little shows on the podcast and also short little writings that you can sign up for. And so it's all on the Substack, ryanjpelton.substack.com. You can sign up for that if you want to get those posts and uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be uh, helpful to you. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Hopefully it'll encourage you uh, just to think about our lives and the challenges that we face, because the reality is that people have gone through whatever you're going through before. And we have much wisdom to lean into and grab onto um, from the past. And it's very relevant for today. And so hopefully that will encourage you, encourage your soul, encourage your life. So without further ado, let me get to my conversation with Dr. Ardashira Mehran. Well, uh, Dr. Ardashur Mehran, we're so glad to have you on the show today. And uh, we've already been talking a little bit off offline. Um, I know there's a lot to talk about and a lot to consider. And you have a book coming out, or actually a book that's already been out, if you're listening to yep. this. Yep. Um, and we'll talk about that. But uh, the question I always ask my guests is, you know, what are the things that you're paying attention to right now? Great. Thank you so much. First of all, Ryan, thank you for inviting me and uh, your work around paying attention caught my attention very deeply <laughs> and i've been i've been waiting to get on your um, on your program what i pay attention to which is a story of me and my life is that why there's so much emotional the struggles all around us i mean like you know the, just last week matthew perry and a beloved actor died and uh, when you hear news like that, every week I get calls from across the globe about mothers 
asking usually about their daughters. My daughter is ADHD, obsessive compulsive, uh, anorexic. She's taking such a medication. Is that okay? Or a lot of unhappiness, depression. What I'm paying attention to about why is that? Why do we start to think labels are okay? Where do the labels come from? Where do we think that we almost the work become everybody needs a therapist, everybody needs an app for healing? Where do they all come from? So asking some basic question, what problem are we trying to solve? And when you zoom out, I realize, and that's what I want to share, that actually we are not solving the root cause, what the real issues are. We're trying to fix the symptoms. We fix the noise, and we are losing the battle. We are going nowhere. That's what I want to share, that there's some essential components of well-being. If you know it, you can take care of yourself and your loved ones. Well, that's really uh, fantastic because I think that's a little bit of the the theme of this sh- this show and this podcast is you know paying attention about not just the surface things, but it's to say, well, yeah. what's underneath that and what what's yeah. the cause of that, what's the roots of that, and um, and so, uh, uh, Doctor Artisher, you've written this beautiful book. You are not depressed. You are unfinished, and yeah. uh, and I love the title. Just uh, in general, if if I saw that title, I would say, hey, I need to pick that up because I love I love the the theme behind that. Um, and so you, you wrote this book, it came out a few months ago, depending on when you're listening to this, this podcast, but it's around depression. It's around, um, emotional health. Uh, obviously yeah, you've, yeah. you've worked with companies and individuals and, uh, but let's talk a little bit about kind of where the, the genesis of this book came about. What, what, what Thank was you. the impetus to, to write this book? Thank you. So it, it's the story of my life, you know, so, um, I was a good student uh, all along you know, the, and went to graduate school to become a psychologist. Then I got triple major in, in psychology and the clinical work. Really, was what I was trying to do was healing myself. Why am I so depressed? Why was my mom depressed? My dad, you know, like, uh, and then my siblings. Depression, when it's not clinical, depression in everyday life has a look has a look that people, there's kind of a sorrow. There's a sense of heaviness. There's a sense of, ah, life is heavy. Someday I think it's been better. When I take the vacation, when I get promoted, there's a sense of heaviness on the soul. And I saw it in the look of my loved ones. And then I realized it was my own story. And the question I was asking all along was, how do I heal my depression? So over the years, I've been to seven psychologists, a psychiatrist, medication, and I only saw my depression more or less leveled off, and I did better, but never went away. It was a pivotal moment in August of 2012, and when I woke up in the morning journaling, and I I have all of this in the book, I asked a different question. The question was, what is depression? Instead of how to heal it, what is depression? That question shifted everything for me. What it shifted was we psychologists, I have a lot of affection and respect for psychologists. We psychologists, we make things up. That we see the moment you go to a psychologist, our work, we're trained, we're trying to, just like a doctor, diagnose a condition. Once you diagnose a condition, then treatment medication follows. So when we see somebody in pain, we want to help them. Right away, we're trying to categorize them. Depression, obsessive compulsive, anxiety, and so on. But when I asked that question, what is depression? I realized depression is an expression. Depression is not a cause. Depression, in fact, is the outcome of something else. So spend all these years studying that what is the outcome? And what it showed me, depression actually is the indication of a life unlived. Depression at its core is about grieving, yearning, a longing for something deep down you know it. You know it. This is not the role I want. This is not the relationship. I'm playing small. I'm holding back. That's why you're depressed and you numb yourself. 
you're trying to say, no, not now. I cannot do that for whatever reason. That's where depression comes in. You cannot medicate it. You cannot treat that. You need to go back to the root cause. So the title of my book is Unfinished. And I saw that once I changed my lens, working with hundreds of clients, many of them professionals, all the way to executives, realized that they have a life unlived. Once you help them realize that, and there are predictable pattern what that unlivedness means, depression not only lowers, dissipates. And that's what it is, paying attention to what's going on when people tell their stories about depression versus fixing on removing or reducing the symptoms of depression. Go to the root cause. What are people grappling with Hmm. at the essence? Well, that's that's interesting. uh, I've worked with some people in the AA groups and addicted to alcohol and other things. My mom was alcoholic and um, as well. And it's interesting when they, they kind of look at, you know, what draw, what draws people to drink, you know, to go to that place, you know, they might call it depression. They might call it, you know, uh, you know, it's a disease. It's, you know, uh, different ways of looking at it, but, but it's a little bit what you're saying. It's, it's, well, what's underneath that? Like what, I mean, the alcohol didn't just magically, you know, addict me or, or, or grab onto me, but it was underneath it of why did I run to it in the first place? That's right. And, and I like to use the words grieving, um, right. you know, longing. Yeah. yeah well, maybe they were abused. Maybe they, That's you know, right. things didn't work out in a marriage, you know, so you go and you drink or whatever, but really the root cause is this life that I feel like I've missed out on or the, these opportunities yes. that I, I didn't, yes. you know, fulfill yes. or this purpose I have that I'm not living. So it's easier just to numb it with drinks or, and you know, I have a friend who always says, you know, but we're all addicted to something. So it's, it's, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be, you know, being liked. It could be TV. It could be, cookies. That's right. it could be, That's right. That's you know, right. we, we find anything we can to, to kind of numb the, numb the pain. That's right. That's right. Um, so, so what, when you were, um, you know, go, going back 10, 12 years, you know, your own pain, your own depression, kind of looking at your family, your friends, uh, the work that you were doing, you know, what were, what were some of the things that were kind of shown to you personally, yeah. um, that you kind of said, yeah, where is this coming from? You know, what yeah, was kind of revealed yeah. to you? What was kind of like an aha moment for you? So there is a quality of every day, you know, so when do you think depression, the, the, it's good for the listeners to know, if you think about the normal curve, really we have three patterns. One is depression happens that you have a crisis, you know, job loss, your house burned down, there's tornado, earthquake, something's taken away from you, an event happened, and you more or less, you're a victim of that. Depression is that point in, is transitional, is a sense of sorrow. I don't like this, you know, you have to deal with that. On the upper end, you have a clinical depression, which is really that that point, the chemical imbalance going, and then the brain's cellular structure start to break down. This is people that um, individuals who really depression stays a long time. They don't exercise, they don't eat well, and more or less they're mimicking death. They want to leave this earth. There's a big part in the middle. This is elevated depression. And many people in the organizations, you see them. What's interesting about those individuals, you cannot tell. They look great. They smell great. They have corner office. And it was me. I was smiling. I was the life of the party. People wanted to be around me. I was getting promoted. And everybody thought I was doing great. Deep down, I was dead. I was married. My son was born. I would tell my wife, I love you. I knew that certain time you need to say, I love you. I couldn't feel anything. I was doing all the right thing. Deep down, I couldn't feel. My heart was heavy. My gut was heavy. My Really, I felt that there's a, the tightness in my being. And I knew I'm not feeling well, so I was exercising. I had really six-pack. My body was tight. I was running marathon. But it came to the point I just could not go on. That was 2012. And that's the time that people do craziest stuff. You know, people think suicide or they quit their job and did radical thing. What happens when you deny your emotions for a long time? You become a prisoner of your own making. That was my mom. That was my dad. I remember their eyes. 
the expressions. There were six kids. They were busy. We didn't have a lot of money. And they were basically stuck. There's a stuckness and you don't know a way out. Once you realize that sense that I'm stuck in a life, not in my head, not brain chemistry. Depression is about broken hearts. Once you know that, grieving is a signal of saying that get up and recreate something different. That in recreating doesn't mean suddenly magic happens and you do it. You need to really crawl your way out. So what I did, I had relationship to repair with my wife and with my son and I realized I was in a job. The money was great. That wasn't my role. I was an executive. So leave the job, go find the job that was right for me. So go find what is right for you. The way it felt different, I knew something's propelling me forward. I didn't know the role, but I know staying here is not the answer. It was in that context. And then also the work that is the essence of my book, that there are seven essential human needs, emotional needs. Once you know them, they are cradled to grave. Everybody has them. We are born with them. They're biological. Once you know them, you can recreate a life that matters for you. And then say, this is missing for me. These needs have been violated, never expressed. So the journey of back is the journey of crawling and creating a life that for whatever reason you didn't get to experience. It's the journey of restoration. So these days, what I tell people and um, people who work with me, they realize and they experience themselves. They say, so Artish, you are not depressed anymore. I tell them, no, I'm not depressed. You will wake up one day, you're not depressed, but you're pissed. You don't want to waste time anymore. You realize that I don't want to go there. I know what it means to be stuck and waiting for something. No, I'm going to create, I'm going to create this life. One breath, one moment at a time. So in your work, uh, how, this is kind of a, a personal question. Only when I think of my, my mother, she again, struggled with some depression and alcohol and things. Um, it's how to know what is, how would you say, what is cl clinical depression versus yeah. kind of just general, you know, sadness, depression, grieving That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, um, in, in your work. And as you've, you've, you've interacted with people, I mean, is there, is there a way to like, well, maybe I could ask it this way. Is there, <laughs> do you think there's less clinical depressed people than we, th than we think, but we've, we've it just is, kind of is. the easy way is just here's medication. Cause I, I feel like the re reason I'm asking that again, this is a terrible question. Um, it's, uh, only because my, my mother, it feels like never got to the root of, yeah, uh, yeah. the depression. It was more just here's medication, just deal with it kind of, you know, That's but right. never doing what you just described of, of figuring out, okay, well, what's, right. what's behind right. it all. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah, Ryan, it's a very good question and very honest question. So let me give you an honest answer. We clinicians, so I'm not a medical doctor. I don't prescribe drugs, but I work with a lot of my clients who did this um, woman, the early 40s, mother of two teenagers, since 18 years old, she was on ADHD medication very precocious, gifted. And she said, my doctor said, you need to take medication and I know I'm not right. So there is a statement that pill for an ill. Doctors, their role is to take care of you. You go there, you have, you're feeling depressed. Their role is to help you. And they first thing is prescribe medications for you. It happened to me. When I went to a psychiatrist, 30 minutes to, in our session, uh, I realized that he's writing something on his path, you know, prescription path. I said, doctor, what are you writing? He said, said, Mr. Meron, you're a depressed man. Take this medication. Come back. We will discuss your emotional struggles. And I was, and I was thinking, it is backward. You don't even know me. You haven't even heard my story about what's going on. Ask me, how am I doing? What is life for you? And what he didn't realize that night on the way to see the doctor, crossing the train track, I was thinking, what if, if I don't go fast enough, I can get hit by a train? I just wanted to talk to somebody. 
and I felt that he missed me. So what doctors do, prescribe medications often too fast. What patients want is somebody to listen to them. Tell me your story. So I don't know your mom. My sense is your mom would benefit from, that's what AA is very powerful. Tell me about you as you are, no judgment. As you are, we will listen to you and you're safe and you're welcomed. So when people are depressed, there are, so when I talk emotional needs, there are three things usually at play. One, they have a deep sense of disconnection. They're feeling isolated. They could be in family relationship in the workplace, smiling a lot of people, but they feel disconnected. Disconnection, the way you address that is by me spending time listening to you, honoring your moment. You can say whatever you want. I'm here for you. Number two, their bodies typically is falling apart. That's the reason our chemical imbalance happened. The body, what we know, is not about how six-pack or you have muscle, but somehow our body is engaged, involved, and is expressive. So their body becomes a sense of deadness. You engage the body. The third thing happened, and we know from the science of trauma, there are a lot of memories hurt, traumas of the past, and we start to live in those narratives. What we know from the current medical research coming from pain clinics, trauma centers, and this is what psychology just arriving at it, that healing happens in here and now. Going back about, tell me what happened with your childhood, with your mother, with your boss, early thing, they actually are not helpful. What would be helpful to you right now that you feel more joy, you feel more control, you feel more connection? So bring in isolation, remove that, engaging your body, your gut and lung and movement. And instead of thinking about long-term therapy, but what can you do right now to take ownership of yourself in this moment, in the next hour, so people get grounded, feel connected. And you feel joy and the call that comes to people's faces when they do that. That's really helpful. I, you know, I remember a, a time my my wife and I, we our second child passed away and we were working mm. with, a, with a counselor. And, and I remember sitting there, it's funny, you said that, how, you know, the, the doctor's kind of writing up a script, you know, so quick, yeah. but barely asked much of, you know, yeah. how we were doing. And, you know, 15 minutes in, it was already like, well, just take this and you'll be, yeah. you know, you'll be fine. Um, and, and not to say that, you know, there's never a place for medication, obviously, but, um, but, you know, yeah, like you said, it wasn't asking questions. How are you doing? What's your story? What happened? You know, we're you're here grieving. for you. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're grieving. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of masking the grief too. And then what happened with us too, is like, we didn't actually didn't grieve well. So it was like a year yeah. later where you actually hit the, hit the wall because you hadn't yeah. really grieved. You just kind of pushed it aside, medicated, yeah. and then just went on with your life. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah. No, so I think that's yeah, that's really it's interesting. You're you're saying your body, just getting your body involved and and that's right. Um, you know, even physicality and and I I was reading somewhere recently where some someone was saying as as hard as it is when you are depressed, whether that's clinically or just you know normal, uh, call it normal, but um, low level depression is you know kind of willing your way into even like exercise or just wa right. walking right. or or just getting out of that space, you know, to kind of breathing, prayer, anything you can That's kind right. of get your body kind of engaged is, is very, right. very interesting how your, right. our brains and our bodies and our souls, they all kind of, kind of work together. That's, um, right. That's right. So, um, so talk us through a little bit, um, as I was looking at some of your book, I know, um, you talk, and I think this is uh, a great way to frame it, but you, you call the, the bill of emotional rights. Yes. And, yes. And I think you hinted at already like seven kind of key things yeah, that, yeah. in our lives and, and talk to a little bit, just give us some background on that. How did you kind of arrive yeah. at these things? And then what, where do they Thank work, you. work Thank themselves you. out here? Thank you. So the Ryan, the, first of all, what you mentioned about losing a child, um, my condolences to you. That's very important. Um, so um, I, I, you know, feel your your emotions. So uh, the the bill of emotional right. My clients taught me that. I didn't know I'd be doing this work. So 
I was a different kind of a student, clinical student from the very get-go. And I remember my professors were saying, Artashi, follow the protocol. So when you're a graduate <laughs> student, rookie therapist, there's a form. How do you welcome the thera- patient, the question you ask, the diagnosis, their recommendation? And I realized I was fascinated and followed the story patients were telling me. I was putting the forms aside because I felt that the forms were very superficial, very theoretical. Somebody sitting in front of me, they have a pain. They want to be heard. They want to be honored. This is their moment. Let them be and do a dance with them. See what they need help with. What happened, and then with my professor, we say that follow the protocol. Then the next breath, we say that whatever you do is working. Keep doing that. And I was thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing, except I was listening to people. So I noticed when people tell their stories, there's a structure to their stories. People are not just hurt. They were hurt about something. They were looking for something. They, When they were violated, they were ignored. Um, they were in foster home. They were hoping to have something that they didn't get. So I started to model that, to write that, to journal that. And over the period of 25 years, those patterns start to gel. And I started to research that all the way to... The biblical text, um, the Greek and the Roman the philosophers, writers, all the way to mother, the way of being. And I saw that human needs, we are born with seven needs, all of us. It's been through, through history with us. But nobody taught us this. Like, for example, you and listener, just go do a search about pathology, mental illness, you have a vast body of knowledge. Go to another search. What does it mean to be emotionally healthy? Things get weird. Ideas here, topic here, topics over there. We spend history of mankind glorifying, analyzing, categorizing pathology. But what, what does it mean to be healthy? The closest we have is the Abraham Maslow hierarchy of needs. So what my work showed, and this is, is not that I dis, I discovered this revealing back to people that we humans have seven, we are wired, seven emotional needs, cradle to grave. And it starts something like this. The very first need is the need of belonging, be connected. It's through the early mother and child or caregiver and child, how you hold the baby kiss and love them and nurture their body, feed them, and a sense of connection. When it's, when it's high, you will feel a sense of I belong to somebody, to a tribe, to a group of people, to a home, to a loved one. When it's afraid, you feel isolated, you feel lonely. You go to a workplace and you feel unrelated. You just feel a sense of that hollowness inside. So many people in the world of work, in society, they have that sense of they are there, but they feel I'm not connected to anybody. That is such a major capital that we are having developed with us. The journey of healing, actually journey of connection, is a contact sport. Nobody heals by themselves. The next need is a need of what I call I'm boundless, our body. When we raise a kid, look at the young kid, Whatever they say they do, their whole body's involved, their mouth, their legs, their cute faces. From early on, we teach them, sit there quiet, put, don't be fidgety, put your hand down. Basically, we <laughs> teach them to be heady. We teach them, don't trust your body, which in fact, as a species, we are one. There's no, that whole language of mind, body, spirit is irrelevant. We are one being. So we haven't learned that we have gut feeling. Don't trust your gut feeling. We have a lot of people have tight stomach, heart or lungs that they feel tension around here, to pain around their neck and jaws. We just think, oh, go take an Advil or medication. Your body's speaking to you. We haven't learned how to experience, be with the world with our body. The next one is I call, I am complete. 
This is a shortcoming with psychology that we think for us to be alive and well, we need to go and look at our past, our pattern, what happened the way you were raised. Life happens neurologically in here and now. Our body has no memory of time. If there's experiences happen, pain, sorrow, love, body thinks is happening right now. So the way healing and therapy happens, and that's the work I do, you work with exactly in this moment what is going on with you, and let's build a new reality. And what you see happen, people have significant breakout, breakthrough in terms of their well-being. So in terms of, instead of dueling of the past, what are you going to do right now in this moment? The next one is I matter. That whether you live uptown, you live downtown, you're in this country, that country, any background, you're on this earth, dignity, honor, respect, inclusion bestowed upon you. There are so many people unseen. When you look at the research, come with all those young men who go and kill people, they are mostly men. They are them. They what they talk about being invisible, that nobody sees them. In the last act of violence, they're saying that hey, I'm somebody. This is like in the world of work, I would go to meetings, you would see many times people enter the room, nobody turns around and acknowledge them. Mm. This is about you matter. You are somebody. The next need is I make. It's about your profession. Whatever you do, is that your work? Many people would put in the hours to make money because they have responsibility. They have obligations, but deep down, they think, I hate this work. This is not my work. I need to do something else. So they go on waiting, waiting for someday to have more money, retire. What they don't know, and we know this from research, that actually leads to elevated depression and anxiety, sense of unease. The next need is I am. This is about your soul conviction. Whatever you say, do you believe in it? What is your truth? And the world teaches us to be to fit in, to say the nice things, to be need, to be to be popular. Versus, what is your need? What is your belief? And when you say that, you feel liberated. That there's a uniqueness to you. And final one is the need I soar. This is your life purpose. Maya Angelou has a saying, which is behind me on the wall, <clears throat> on the flip chart, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Everybody has a story, everybody. Eight billion people, eight billion stories. Many people don't know it. They're just on autopilot. Once you know your story, why are you here? What is guiding you? What do you know from inside? You become unstoppable and you feel clearer to walk your path. So those seven needs, the work for each one of us to know at this moment, which one calls you, which one is energized, which one being unfulfilled or violated, step forward to claim them, literally claim them. These are your rights. Parents didn't give it to us, managers, bosses, teachers. Do we are your rights, claim them. Once you do that, you see your emotional angst and suffering literally dissipates and dissolves. So uh, when you're working through these kind of bill of rights, emotional bill of rights, um, are, is it, um, I'm, I'm curious about how this is kind of like practically lived yeah, out yeah. and fleshed out. I mean, is it, is it most helpful in a kind of communal setting, like with someone else helping you kind of work through them? Is it something you just kind of do yourself? Is it kind of a combination? Uh, where have you seen like like most success? Most uh, success? All of the above. So when people call me, so I do one-on-one -on -one, uh, training and um, therapy, either on Zoom or in person or in groups. So the way it happens when I'm with an individual, I describe them just right now how I describe this to you. And I invite people 
These are not like a behavioral competency. Am I one? Am I five? These are what you feel like inside. So as you listen to my words describing them, the practice is see which one, what resonated, where you feel your heart racing. You see your breath says, oh my gosh, this feels good. Oh my gosh, this feels awkward. I don't know what to do with that. These are felt experiences. Whatever you feel, that's the wisdom. So people, when I share those sevens, usually between two to three are hot for people. That's where you start. And then when I do it in group, whether in the work team or like communal or like, you know, going to, to local church, you know, in terms of doing it with the people after prayers, as I share those seven needs, people have discussion. You know, people, this matter to me. That was was interesting to me. So they share stories. That's the best part. Like families, the husband and wives or partners, what matters to one person, what matters to you, and how do we create room for each other so your needs are met, my needs are met, and together we create a happier, happier partnership. So these are all about experiencing and take ownership of them in this very moment in your life. Yeah, I'd like to um, go back a little bit. Uh, one thing you said I thought was interesting was you said, you know, there's so much talk about past trauma and going to the past and, you know, what my mom do to me and my dad and, you know, your boss or whatever. Um, it, it, that seems to go against a lot of just, I think, conversation these days of, you know, right. how, how long do we carry around trauma and, you know, yeah, yeah. is it generational? Is it all that? And there's probably an element of that, I imagine, at some some level. But mm-hmm. um, but you take a total different tactic and you say it's actually what matters is like right here, right now. So that's right. That's right. Um, so is there maybe you could you could frame it this way? Is is there a a negative that happens if we? Um, cause I feel like that's just basic counseling. Everyone, you know, here's your family system. Yeah, here's yeah. where you, you know, when I do, you know, if someone's getting married or something and I do premarital counseling, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. you talk about your past, you talk about how you dealt with conflict, how you were hurt, how you, you know, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you kind of like, is that a negative or is it to say, well, what's the, why is it important just to focus on the here and the now versus trying Thank to dig, dig up? Cause I, I find, and again, I'm not trying to add words to your mouth by any means or put words in your mouth, I should say is, um, you know, I find it's like a lot of times we're not even able to really do the past work just because it's, we kind of project what it was or what, you know, what happened and and we don't really know. And we don't, you know, it's it's hard to do that anyway. That's just my thoughts, but no, no, that that actually Ryan did. You're right. So let me, there's a body of knowledge for your listeners to know. There's a book um, that has been for the last five years in New York times, bestseller It's called body keeps the score. Mm by a psychiatrist, uh, Bezel van der Kolk, and then another psychologist, his name is Peter Levine, um, L-E-V-I-N-E, the, the PhD, which I'm trained by. There's been a significant seismic shift in the knowledge of psychology and psychiatry starting from early 70s. What they show that what happened, and actually this work came from veteran affairs hospitals and then working with the um, soldiers, the PTSD. What they showed that what happens when we deal with overwhelming emotional experience trauma, childhood trauma, war trauma, violence. There's an experience that happens when we have trauma. So what is trauma? Trauma basically means being overwhelmed. And overwhelmed when something happened as a child or as a grown-up, we cannot process it. Something or happens, but it lasts a long time. Or something happens that we don't have anybody to talk to. We feel isolated. Or something happens that we are told, deal with it. This is best you get, you know, chin up, that's life. Basically, what we learn is something happens, we are out of balance, but we don't like it, so we deal with it. So what happens, there's an emotional experience, is neurological, it's called freeze. So you have heard about fight or flight. Something happens, either you fight, you push back, you talk back, you make faces, you argue. 
flight, uh, it means I'm out of here. You run, you basically, you tune out and so on. Freeze means you just get stuck. We go, literally become immobilized. Hearts and lungs race, but body calms down, we cowering, and we start to make ourselves small and lose our voice. When trauma happens, we enter freeze mode. Freeze is neurological, and basically what happens, our body sends a lot of hormonal, like cortisol, adrenaline to our um, upper body, do something, move something, and you're at this point be holding on. Trauma is and characterization of emotional freeze that you're more or less stuck. You're overwhelmed and you lost your voice, movement, ability to do anything, and you're putting up with that. When that happens, we become numb and memory of the past stay present. We keep thinking, whatever it was, we were abused, we were hit, we were ignored, this keep happening right now. We keep going stuck in a movement of remembering the past, ruminating over and over. We know this from thousands of case studies working with uh, trauma research and pain clinics. So talk therapy, which current method of, tell me what happened with your child and so on. It was based upon the assumption, if you remember what happened, you can understand it, who did what to you, you will heal your health. Actually, what we know, it's not helpful. You re-traumatize the person all over again because they remember something very bad. A better approach is that when you were in the state of freeze, you saw something hurtful and you wanted to do something and your action was taken away. The healing happens, help the person see that your body in the state of freeze, what's coming up for you? What action is going to help you to claim yourself, claim your voice, claim your agency that you own you, you own the moment and you do it right now. The healing of trauma is releasing the energy that you were stuck, moves out of your body. It's really irrelevant how it and why it happened. You can go back, remember it, but healing happens when you move the energy so you come out of the freeze and it goes say, ah, ah, so your body can breathe again. You let go of the pain of what was stuck dormant inside you. Hmm. That, when you do that, therapy is a lot faster. You matter a few sessions. Results are deeper. It's a sense of revelation. And the benefits last much longer and you come out of it hmm. this is fascinating because I, I i was thinking of like the connections between you know some of the different spiritual masters that really talk about the present the moment right. the That's here right. and the now not the past not even the future because mm-hmm. I, I mean even obsessing about the future you know the scriptures the bible talks about that you know, jesus talks about anxiety and and worry about something that's not we can't control like we there's, right. we don't even know the future so why obsess about something you can't add to yeah. or change or whatever but but something there's some gift about just being present being what's here now what what am i yeah. ch- challenged with now um n- not even the past the past is the past can't do anything about right. that but um but i find that interesting you know it's 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 like almost like a daily practice it's a daily habit of absolutely of, of being absolutely. here and now um, aware here and now and dealing with whatever's in front of me right now you know exactly life happens in here and now now we know from yeah. neurology past and present our brain makes things up mm-hmm. but emotions experiences happen here and now you master this you're good to go you can mm-hmm. handle emotions and heal things that happened to you years ago decades ago heal it in here and now that seems to make sense you, you mentioned you know your body doesn't have a timestamp or doesn't have yeah. you know this date or you know this um that, that is fascinating because yeah that does make make sense too i mean even you know it's funny i've heard someone talk about the, even the foods we eat it's like our bodies aren't as smart as you think they are like they don't know that that's a certain kind of food you know it doesn't have that kind of <laughs> categorization that's right that, you know i mean there's good food bad food but you know there's not like this 
you know, well, that's X amount of protein and that's this and that, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's not as, as I don't know, intricate as we make it out to be, you that's know, right. that's, right. Um, that's right. I mean, we obviously have certain cravings and certain things that are good for us or not, and not good for us, but um, so, um, so coming back a little bit to your, um, the, the emotional bill of, bill of uh, rights, if you will, um, you know, I was fascinated on this conversation, this part of the conversation on, um, you know, when you, you mentioned, we all have all seven of these, or we all need mm-hmm. all of these to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, um, you've kind of hinted at it, not, not fully, but like it, you said certain things will kind of come up certain pain points. Yeah, are there yeah. certain areas we need to work on more than others? Or can we, I mean, confidently say, Hey, actually, this is like a pretty I'm pretty healthy in this area as much as yes, I'm aware of yes, it. Yes, um, yes. Cause I do feel like some people, you know, like let's say isolated, they don't feel isolated. They feel very much connected very much, but maybe in other areas, they just feel like I don't really have a purpose or I don't have, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, how do you go about that kind of work? And, yeah, and is it, a- you know, because I feel like just as humans, cause we are weak and vulnerable and can only yeah. handle so much, you know, how do you not overwhelm people? You know, that's with, right. That's with right. All of these things, you know, absolutely. That feeling way. like I can't do anything, you know, exactly. Right. For busy people, right? This artist, seven of them. I can, I can't even manage my calendar. Right. I right. I don't know. The first thing is follow the energy. Your body knows. There's a we know from the wisdom of you. Instead of thinking what comes up, usually there are two or three at play at any stage. There is one need as I talk about the emotional needs. There's one that people says, oh my gosh, I want that. I need more of that in my life. That, that sounds so good, inspires me, excites me. So listen for that. Then there's usually a need that torments you. It says, you know what? That sucked for a long time. That is absent for me. I'm struggling with that. I never got that. You know, There's a sense of hurt and sorrow comes up. And usually there's a need, emotional need, there is a stability, your backbone. You go there, your happy place. For example, for me, right now, I soar that I'm creating, it's really stepping to a way of being. The work that I do, I know this work matters to people by the reaction they've given me, the reviews they write on Amazon, people I don't know at all, that I'm doing a work that is meaningful, and that was the purpose of my life. It's very clear to me. So that's what energizes me. The one that is a source of angst is a new method of therapy, I'm, uh, is the need of I am. I'm building a new business model that instead of a lot of backward-looking healing, your life, claim it, own it. You start from here, so it's a much shorter much more fulfilling and is the joyful based on therapy. But just like anything else, I'm an entrepreneur, building new ways of doing that. What is a backbone for me is I belong. This wasn't a backbone for me 10 years ago. My wife, my son, our golden retriever, my friends. So I prepared those. Then to the point I can go there and tell, sometimes says, you know, guys, I'm struggling and they support me. So use those for me to stay focused. For people, they are different. So people who reach out to me, there are people saying that, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm complete, that they're struggling with past trauma, successful people. But somehow they're spending time in therapy, psychiatry, medication, and getting caught in a loop, and they're not coming out of that. So at this point for listeners, those seven needs, See which one speaks to you, which one, and follow the energy. Don't overthink it. See at this moment in your life, as you are, which one energizes you? Which ones gives you a sense of sorrow, hurt, and regret? And which ones gives you a sense of stability? This is good enough. This is good enough right now. And play with that. And these change over time. Whether you're in late 20, early 30, and some of my clients, they are 70-year-old grandmothers, that they change over time. Just play with the energy, what calls you. That's helpful. So I have to ask you this big question. I've been thinking about it the whole time as you you kind of began our, our conversations. You, you know, you mentioned, you know, you saw it in yourself, depression, your friends, your family, um, wondering what is that? Why is that? 
um, as you were talking, I was thinking about just the bigger kind of existential question, especially here in America, but you know, both you and I are living in the States mm-hmm. and, and I think it's a worldwide problem too, obviously. Um, how can we have so much, you know, how can we quote unquote, you know, be so well off yeah. and have so many opportunities and, and yet, as you said, why is everyone so sad? Why, why are we depressed? Why, like, like, have you, you know, obviously you've probably thought about these things, but I mean, just as you, you've done this work with people, it's like, how can we have so much? And yet you you mentioned earlier, people killing each other over stupid things. And you know, what, what is it about us that we, we we're we're so down and we're so, you know, just feel lack of purpose and lack of meaning. And yet there's so much opportunity around us. So how, how do we kind of live in those tensions? Like what, what do you think is kind of the the stem of that? Thank you. The reason is that we've started to focus on fixing the symptoms. Mm. We start to think about depression, anxiety, ADHD as entity of their own. And um, there is a significant political fight within the clinical field and American psychiatric associations. I mean, we don't, we are all practitioners and we have respect for each other, but we we love labeling. Mm. We love medication and the treatment modality. What the Bill of Rights, really the essence of that is at the end of the day, we are all humans. Nobody heals by themselves. For us to heal those basic elements, we need a sense of community. We need a sense of connection. We need some element of respect, honoring, being in the job you like, being allowed to dream, to pursue your dream. To know, we all get punched in the stomach, but a way to heal yourself. So create an environment that is more supportive. So the reason we as a society feels like this, part of that is the way nature of our life. Some of these issues didn't exist 300 years ago when we lived in fields and farms mm-hmm. and community. We took care of each other. We were not isolated. The people who come to me and I have clients from US, Canada, and um, and Europe, when you ask them, they are isolated. They're in a relationship that is loveless. Parents, work, you, they are on medication, but it's not about medication. You need to create a relationship that matters, that you give love and you receive love. We haven't, we, we don't go there right away. We're trying to fix things. And the Bill of Rights, once you do that, number of my clients, when they do that, they come off of medication, that this is not happening in your brain, your chemical imbalance. Those are all consequence of a life unlived, un- being unfinished. Once you do that, you will be good. You can raise your kids differently. You have your better spouse, better partner, better teacher, better coworker. So with the society, we're trying to fix the brain. We're trying to fix the neurology. Many questions people ask me, what do you think about magic mushroom? And uh, so these are all good questions. That, that's, not, that's not the cause, you know, like, you know, fix the way of the way we live individually and collectively. That's where we get the healing. And you will see depression, anxiety, ADHD, all of it is our signals of life unlived of individuals mm. unfulfilled you mm. fix that they will be taken care of mm. that's really great because i i just noticed the uptick too of like ads and marketing that's all about the symptoms you know f- get this product get this thing you know put this in your system you know everything again it's all surface it's all yeah, it doesn't right. deal with underneath all of it and like you said the relationships we have the community we have the support we have the you know all those things are, are essential right um yeah. oh, i love that um well um dr mehran uh we are getting to the end of our conversation and um I love asking this question, especially, um, and it, it's sometimes hard to answer just because it's probably pretty fresh, but you probably have thought about it is, especially when you write a book is kind of, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your outcomes that, you know, as you're writing this book and launching it out in the world, what, yeah. what, what do you hope the people that encounter this work? It's obviously doing Thank great you. and it's got great Thank reviews you. and helping a lot of people, but Thank yeah, you. what is there specific things that you kind of say, yeah, this is what I hope at least can be my gift to the world through this book. Thank you. So the, the message that I have for this 
book. I wish this book was available in those years that I was lost and mm-hmm. was looking for healing. I read so many books. I went to different wonderful psychiatrists, psychologists, and I felt they were getting my symptoms right. They were missing me. So this book is really an invitation to you that your suffering, you're okay. Your brain is okay. Your chemistry is okay. You have a broken heart. You are not living the life you were meant to live. That, And that's human. That's okay. Read this book, find your way. You need. You may have to crawl your way out, but you will be okay. Don't let the symptoms, struggles define you. So this is a message of finding your way back. And uh, if you go to my website on November, on December 8th, 11th, I will be announcing a workshop I'll be doing. The title of that, Depression Power Hour, that Many people privately depressed, they know it, but they don't talk about it. So this session is that come there as you are. Mm-hmm. This will be on Zoom. And I will show you about where depression comes in, how do you get stuck in that do loop, and ways that you come, can come out of it. That depression, anxiety, all of this are meant to be healed. So my invitation to your listeners that find you, Claim your emotional bill of rights and you will be okay. You're designed to be okay. Don't let the um, pathology define you. Uh, give us your website. What's your website? Yes, it's ardashirmehran.com www.ardashirmehran.com And if you do a search, Ardashir Mehran, I will come up. Okay. And on the 11th, I will announce that. And uh, you will see also my YouTube channel, that all those emotional rights in the seven-minute segment, I talk about each one of them, what is the science behind this, and what are the practices around that. Great. Well, Dr. Ardashir, this has been fantastic, and you've helped a lot of people today. Um, I'm so thankful that you wrote this book, and I know this book's going to help a lot of people. I'm looking forward to get it into more hands. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Everyone can grab that. His website will be there. Check out the workshop coming up uh, in December. We'll put that in there, too. And, uh, and yeah, go get emotionally healthy and find a healthier, uh, loving, lasting, joyful life. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, so, so keep, keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Thank you. Same to you, Ryan. Thank you so much to you and your listener. We are all on the same journey. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Well, there you have it, my friends. Dr. Artisher Mehran, all his information is in the show notes. Go check out his latest book, You Are Not Depressed. You are unfinished and i'm so thankful for his graciousness of coming on the show and sharing his insights and emotional health and his story of depression and uh, hopefully that'll encourage you wherever you find yourself uh, today and maybe down the line you find yourself in a, in a hard place and, uh, and yet built into the fabric of who we are there there's these resources that we can can find ways to to kind of understand ourselves and and, and have people around us and get help and, and, and figure out ways in which we can live uh, mentally and, and emotionally healthy lives. And, uh, and, and, and there's a bigger reason to that. That's why we have people on the show like uh, Dr. Archer, because we want you to be the best version of yourself so that you can be a blessing and you can be helpful and you can be a, a good human out in the world to your partner and to your friends and to your, in your workplace and the things you're building and making. We, we want you uh, to, to pay attention to the things that matter most so that we can go out and we can be a, a help to uh, the greater world and we can uh, be uh, people who love and, and help and serve and that's that's the goal. Um, it's not just to be navel gazers but to, to send us out uh, to serve in, in, in wherever we're called. So you can check out his, his website. It'll be in the show notes as well. Just also wanted to let you know my little new project. Check out the Daily Wisdom. Daily Wisdom. It's on the Substack. Um, I'll put I'll put it in the show notes. Some uh, regular posts about ancient wisdom colliding with the modern day. Uh, that people have been asking the same questions that we've been asking for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and, and people have gone through really difficult times, and yet we have this great ancient wisdom of of the scriptures and Christian spirituality and other traditions that that really help. Uh, help us understand what is going on here and how we can move forward and also how it, how it applies to our own lives today. Um, that's not irrelevant. Actually, there's much to lean on and, and gain 
uh, to, to grow uh, in, in our faith and in, in our lives and as humans. So uh, check that on out. Um, we'll be talking about that a little bit more. And, uh, and hopefully that's a blessing to you. Hey, if you get a chance, leave a rating, a review, share this with your friends, pass it along. Word of mouth still works. This helps us get the word out about the art of paying attention. So thank you for stopping by. And before I go, I do have one important thing to say. Go make some great art with your life. And I will talk to you. Hey, it's Ryan. Welcome to my new project called Daily Wisdom. I'd like to invite you to join me in conversations around the timeless teachings and wisdom of Christian spirituality, things that are true and beautiful and good. I want us to consider the questions of what makes for a good life. What does it mean to be fully alive? And what is my contribution to the world? In a world filled with constant change and rapid innovation, it's easy to lose sight of the wisdom that has stood the test of centuries. It's easy to forget that Jesus of Nazareth, while claiming to be God, was also the most brilliant, wise, and important human ever to walk the earth. Our podcast seeks to bridge the gap between ancient wisdom and the challenges of our modern age. Together, we'll dive into sacred scriptures, reflect on the teachings of influential theologians, teachers, philosophers, prophets, artists, and wise people, hoping to uncover the hidden gems and wisdom that have been passed down through the generations. Join us as we navigate the intersection of spirituality and how it converses with the modern world, exploring how the profound truths embedded in Christian wisdom can offer guidance, solace, and inspiration in our daily lives. Whether you're a devout believer seeking a deeper connection to God, maybe someone curious about the wisdom that has shaped the the Christian tradition, this podcast is a space for reflection, conversation, and discovery. Check out our Substack newsletter to get regular posts and updates sent to your inbox at ryanjpelton.substack.com. So come and join me where the ancient wisdom meets the challenges of today. This is Daily Wisdom with the exploration begins.